Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Laugh Out Loud. I'm your host, Ali Hassan, and we are jam-packed with comedy today, so let's jump right in. We'll start today with an extended set from a young performer who is not even five years into comedy, and yet he has the presence and joke writing of someone 10 years his senior. Recorded earlier this spring at Punchlines in St. John, it's Clifton Kremer. Gwe, medal lot dio. Ndolusi Clifton Kremer, Lewi Esasoni Unamagi. Hi, how's everybody doing? My name is Clifton Kremer. I'm from Eskazoni First Nation in Cape Breton. Um, if, you, if you couldn't tell by that switch in the language, I am Mi'kmaq. I am First Nation, so if I stutter or stumble or struggle with my English on stage here tonight, it's probably just because I'm nervous. But if you laugh or make fun of my English, it's because you're racist, okay? <laughs> just, to, just to reiterate, my name is Clifton, not Clifford. Uh, never fails whenever I introduce myself to a room full of people. Someone inevitably calls me Clifford, and I have to correct them because Clifford is a big red dog. I'm a big red man. There is a difference, there is a difference. Um, I, I've known from a young age that my people, that Mi'kmaq people, that First Nations people in general were kind of magical, mystical people. I learned this because when I was nine years old, I went to a, a naming ceremony where an elder gave me my spirit name. And this elder told me that my spirit name is he who carries fire in his heart. And uh, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't understand the gravity of the whole situation. Um, but now, 20 years later, you know, I've, it, this is what made me realize that we're magical, mystical people. Because 20 years in advance, this elder correctly predicted my acid reflux. <laughs> I carry the fire in my heart every night. <laughs> in my culture, we have a uh, we have clan. Our, our last names are representative of our clans, and our clans are represented by animals. So each different family with a different last name has a different clan animal. So, for instance, there's the Syllaboy clan. They're the Muin clan, the Bear clan. That sounds pretty awesome, pretty tough, you know? Or there's the, the Marshall family. They're the Mossel clan. They're the Moose clan. That sounds all right. Uh, <laughs> I wish my clan animal was as cool as a moose. I'll just I'll say that right now. I wish it was there. Because my clan animal is actually a mosquito. <laughs> that is a true story. Um, I, w I went to an elder and I asked an elder, I was like, hey, why, why are my family, why are we mosquitoes? And the elder was like, it's because you suck. Uh, it, it, it's, it's great to be here in St. John. Uh, uh, it's, it's fantastic. 
Uh, I've, been, I've been on the road a lot, and I love traveling. I love getting to bigger cities. Because I'm from Cape Breton. I'm from a small area, right? Like, getting to a bigger... I, I consider this a bigger city, so, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, my favorite thing about getting to a bigger city, though, is seeing all the things that you guys have that we don't, right? Like, public transportation. That's a thing. We don't have that back home. Like, I, I grew up knowing it was important, like, especially buses. Like, my mom really drilled it into my head. She'd always be like, Clifton, make sure you're wearing clean underwear in case you get hit by a bus. <laughs> and, all I could think was like, wow, clean underwear just to get hit by one? What would you have to wear to ride one? That's, that's insane. I was actually on the bus the other day and a, uh, a cyclist got on the bus. Have you ever seen this? A guy with a bike loaded his bike onto the front of the bus and then proceeded to get into the bus. Like, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? You already had a vehicle. <laughs> they're going too far. Cyclists want too much. You know, cyclists, they're always going on, like, share the road, share the road. Now it's like, share the bus, share the bus. <laughs> Where does it end? You know, are they going to show up at my house? Like, share your wife, share your wife. <laughs> Turn up in the bedroom like, you got a place I can chain this up? No, no, not, not the bike, your wife. Growing up, growing up in Escazoni, uh, me and my mom, we lived in a trailer. We weren't like super poor or anything like that. We weren't like trailer trash, but uh, we didn't have the luxuries that people with houses have. You know, like I didn't know what a pantry was until I was a teenager. I thought it was a place you kept pants. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's because people with houses make everything sound a lot fancier than it really is. They fancy everything up. They'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, me and the wife, we, we just bought an entertainment center. I grew up on a reserve, okay? The entertainment center is where you go to play bingo. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll be like, yeah, we're, uh, we're thinking about getting an island installed in our kitchen. <laughs> How big is your kitchen? Nowadays, of course, I, I don't live with my mom in, in, in the trailer. I grew up, I moved out. These days, I live with my grandmother. Uh, I have an apartment in her basement. Um, as you can imagine, in a situation like that, there's not very much privacy, right? The walls are, I guess in my case, the ceilings are paper thin, right? You can hear everything. And I, I think that's why I never really bring girls home, because that's just an awkward conversation to have the next morning. Like, why does your grandmother moan so loud? I don't know. I just know my mom was louder and trailer walls are thinner. <laughs> Seriously, though, my grandmother is really cool about privacy. She'll always make sure to, like, schedule an appointment if she has to come into my space. But when I go upstairs to see her, privacy goes out the window, you know? I'll walk in and she'll be like, Clifton, honey, Clifton, dear, you're, um, you're getting so fat. Do you, do you have diabetes? And I'm like, uh, not yet. And she's like, well, let's just see. And she'll pull out a glucometer. You ever go visit your grandmother and get stabbed? Because I have multiple times. I can't say no because she doesn't charge me rent. I guess she's charging me a couple of drops of blood per month. Maybe she's trying to clone a better grandson or something. 
The messed up part about the whole ordeal is that she doesn't even have diabetes herself. She just bought a glucometer to screw with me. And every time we check my sugars, they always come back in the optimal range and she'll just like shoot me this look. She'll be like, I don't know how you're hiding it. But one of these times I'm gonna catch you, fatso. I, I could have diabetes. I, I honestly could, I wouldn't know. I, I don't like going to the doctor. Going to the doctor is like my least favorite thing to do. Because uh, when you go to the doctor when you're overweight, that's all the doctor wants to talk about, right? You could show up with a broken arm and the doctor will be like, well, if you didn't have all that weight to fall on it with. That, that hurts to hear. Like from anyone else, those are fighting words. Like just because you're my family doctor doesn't make you family, right? <laughs> I know you've had your finger on my prostate, but we're still strangers. They'll say, they'll say dumb stuff too. The doctors always say the dumbest stuff. They'll be like, well, Clifton, why should I help you if you're not willing to help yourself? Because it's your job. You get paid very handsomely to help me. Like, trust me, if I was getting what you're getting, I wouldn't just help myself. I'd go back for seconds. I guess what I'm trying to say is a, if I made doctor money, I'd be much bigger. Uh, I, actually, uh, I actually did have to go to the doctor the other day. No, that's not that it's any of your business, but I, uh, I did have to go see the doctor. He gave me some bad news. The doctor, doctor pulled me in. He said, Clifton, you're, you're healthy as a horse. Aren't you a people doctor? I don't know what that means coming from a doctor. You're healthy as a horse. I was confused. I was upset. I was like, what's that supposed to mean? He's like, whoa, big fella. I just know I'm not gonna go see him if I ever break my leg, all right? Uh, gonna avoid that one. I, I do a lot of jokes about my weight. I've had, I've had people come up to me after shows and be like, Clifton, you're not, even, you're not even fat. And it's like, no, yeah, I am. I am for sure. You wanna know how I know I'm fat? Because when I go to the bars, drunk guys will ask if they can try to lift me. That doesn't happen if you're a healthy weight. <laughs> but in my opinion, I think being, being fat, being overweight, maybe has been the best thing to be, at least the past couple of years during the whole pandemic. Like, I don't know if you guys remember back when they used to give us updates on the whole thing, when it was always like, COVID-19 exposure site, good life fitness. COVID-19 exposure site, planet fitness. It was never COVID-19 exposure site, Taco Bell. <laughs> So I was like the safest guy during the whole pandemic. Now, I don't actually credit my safety during the pandemic to, uh, to my weight. I did get vaccinated and listen, I don't care where you fell on that spectrum. If you were pro-vax, anti-vax, doesn't matter to me. The only people I couldn't stand during the whole thing were the ones who got vaccinated and then complained about it. You know the ones. You guys probably are the ones, aren't you? You know, the people who were like, oh man, that second dose, man, that second dose hit me like a truck. I don't think you've been hit by a truck. I know a guy who got hit by a truck and he wasn't complaining about it at work the same day. In fact, he never came back to work again. 
it's been a weird couple of years, though, hasn't it? It's been, it's been pretty tough, I think, for everyone. Um, but I think the past couple of years have been especially tough on Native people, on First Nations people across the board. But I don't know if you guys were, like, following the news from my home province in Nova Scotia with the whole lobster fishery, with the lobster dispute down there in Digby. That was so frustrating to watch as it played out. Because to me, there was a really simple solution, right? You line up all the native fishermen on one side, you line up all the white fishermen on the other side, put the lobster in the middle, let the lobster choose. (laughs) Worked for my parents in the divorce. One of the things they kept saying during that whole ordeal was, uh, there are seasons for a reason. I don't know if you guys heard that one. There are seasons for a reason was like their justification for racism, I guess. But the only time I heard a phrase similar to that growing up was at Christmas time. People would always say, Jesus is the reason for the season. So that's how I started responding to it. Like I got into an argument with this non-native fisherman and he's like, well, yeah, there are seasons for a reason. I'm like, yeah, Jesus is the reason. <laughs> He, he, got, he got right confused. He was, he was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, think about it for one second, right? Now take Jesus. Here's a guy who fed 5,000 people. And he claims to have had only two fish. Like, I bet that's what he had tags for, right? It's been a... It's been more than a rough couple of years. I mean, for, for First Nations people, it's been a rough history, I guess. Uh, we've, been, we've been kind of victimized throughout history, and I think I know why. I think it's because we come off as super peaceful. You know, we sing, we dance, we pray, uh, we do all this stuff. That's just what we want you to think, all right? Deep down, we are vengeful. You know, we'll do the sing and dance and pray anything while we are alive, but when we are dead, we will haunt the crap out of you. You ever read a Stephen King book, watch a Stephen King movie? Some poor white guy builds his porch a little too far. Dude's getting poltergeisted. I'm a huge fan of Stephen King. I'm a huge fan of horror. I love horror movies. It's my favorite genre. Um, I think generally, though, Native people were a bit too skeptical for horror. Like, I think that's why you don't see very many of us in Hollywood. Like, imagine trying to pitch a horror movie to a Native film producer. It's like, all right, I've got a great idea for a horror movie. Okay, what's it about? It's about a group of people who are lost in the woods. Why don't they just follow the stars? Well, it turns out there are spirits in the woods. Yeah, I know. All right, I've got an idea for a horror movie. They're going to consider it the greatest horror movie ever made. It's going to be called The Exorcist. Okay, what's this one about? Well, there's a young girl, an old priest, and a young priest. I'm going to stop you right there, man. The only type of horror movie that really scares us, the only type of horror movie that scares a native person is a zombie movie. Like, all right, I've got this great idea for a horror movie. All right, what's this one about? It's about a group of brain-dead people with an unknown infectious disease who show up in the country and destroy civilization. I think I've seen this one before.
the, the past couple of years have been, have been tough, but it hasn't been all doom and gloom. You know, there have been a lot of great things that have been happening uh, for me. I don't know about for you guys, but uh, I was able to go see Brian Adams in concert this past year. Yeah. All right, we got some Brian Adams fans in the room. I, uh, I, I was able to score tickets to Brian Adams in Sydney. He did a tour of the East Coast. Did anyone else go to that tour? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Some people. All right. Yeah, I went to go see Brian Adams. He was in Sydney. I scored tickets at the last minute in the second row, right in the center. So I was, like, closer to Brian Adams than you, the front table, is to me. Like, I could just see the guy in HD, and I'm sitting there. And all I could think while I'm looking at him is, like, man, this guy looks so good for his age. And then I realized I don't know how old he is. Maybe he doesn't. So I had to Google it after the show. How old is Brian Adams? Turns out at the time he was 62 years old, born in 1960, which by my math means that the summer of 69 is about the summer when he was nine years old. But the lyrics don't reflect that at all. They don't sound like a nine-year-old's lyrics. I think, I think he needs to go back and fix that, you know? Rewrite the song from the perspective of a nine-year-old. Like, tied my first real shoestring. Used to think Velcro was fine. I tried until my fingers bled. I didn't learn till I was nine. Me and some kids from school. At recess, we played tug of war. Jimmy slipped and Jody got weary. I should have known they couldn't pull that hard. And at the playground, that slide that seemed to last forever was made of metal. Burned my ass in hot weather. Those were the best days of my life. Thank you. Rewriting a Canadian classic there. That was Clifton Cremo. This weekend, he performs at Just for Laughs in Toronto, and you can check him out on Instagram at Clifton Cremo. And speaking of Toronto, don't forget that Accent on Toronto is on October 11th at the Danforth Music Hall. Tickets are going fast. Head to cbc.ca slash laughoutloud to book yours. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. This next performer is somebody I just got to work with in Woody Point, Newfoundland. She's having a great year. It's Newfoundland's own Brie Parsons. I was briefly married last year, right? And I feel like I got, I got seduced into a lifestyle of just Costco-sized snacks. <laughs> a small dog that fit in my purse. Right? I remember right before I got married, my ex, he was really adamant that we have a wedding rehearsal. And I thought that was dumb. (laughs) That is until I realized how desperately my family needs to practice walking in a straight line. (laughs) I I was really afraid to get married, I gotta say, because it meant I had to take my hood rat family and co-mingle them with someone's nice, normal family. (laughs) 
I've got an uncle, he's got a tattoo on his arm that just says, stay high. I can't have him over chatting with Aunt Brenda, the kindergarten teacher. So we just signed the papers, right? And, and he's an organized man. He's a structured man, right? He's the kind of man that, like, looks like he'd have a lot of opinions about the Oxford comma. Mm. He wore a tie everywhere. I had to implement casual Fridays in my own home. So we went in to sign the papers, and he's got a binder of just documents, right? Just savings and RSPs, and then it's my turn. And I had to look the lawyer right in her face and say, well, uh, I found $10 in this coat this morning. <laughs> I was feeling a lot of pressure to have children, right? From him, from my mom. My mom kept saying stuff like, you know, when your great-grandmother was your age, she had 13 youngsters pushed out. It's like, yeah, probably, but she also couldn't vote her own property. <laughs> Times have changed, right? I don't know how to talk to kids. I don't know, I'm like, cool sneakers, where'd you get them? They're like, I don't know, I'm six. <laughs> Fair enough. I asked my niece recently, uh, at the classic question you ask a child, you know, I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she's so sweet, right? She said, a mom. Aww. I'm like, you could be anything you want in life and you choose knocked up. I just don't think I'd know how to discipline a child, right? I didn't grow up with any rules in my house. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> I remember all the other kids in my neighborhood, if their parents caught them smoking a cigarette, they had to sit down and smoke an entire pack of cigarettes in one sitting. Do you know what I call sitting down and smoking an entire pack of cigarettes in one sitting with my mother? Quality time. <laughs> So I wouldn't know how to discipline a child, and I wouldn't know how to talk to them about the important issues, right? Like, I never got a sex talk. Right? Eventually, my mom looked at me, and she was like, are you a virgin? And I said, no. And she was like, oh, too little, too late. It's like... It's like, yeah, he was little and I am late. <laughs> but I could have used more than that, right? You know, 
Maybe if I got a little more than that, I wouldn't have lost my virginity to a dude with a chin strap in the back of his RAV4. (laughs) You could tell that was real, hey? Then I could have used another talk later in life. I came out as bisexual, right? I could have used another talk about how to date women. I would have saved a fortune in (laughs) U-Hauls. I did not grow up well off, right? I remember in fourth grade, we had a show and tell situation. And so everyone had to like make their own instrument, right? Most of the kids in my class, they made the paper towel roll ukulele, right? Not me. I made a set of bongos out of duct tape and two John Player tobacco containers. (laughs) And my mom looked at me and was like, good job. When I look back at the class photo that day, I look like a child you could sponsor. (laughs) For just a dollar a day, Brie could have a real instrument. (laughs) And a nicotine patch. But honestly, I think growing up like that, it gave me ambition, you know? It gave me drive, it made me competitive. Daddy didn't raise no quitter, right? I mean, I quit things all the time. My dad just didn't raise me. (laughs) I'm very competitive, though. I'm the kind of competitive that, like, I could never be a girl boss. You know, I can never be in a multi-level marketing scheme. If I sold Mary Kay, I would have that pink Cadillac. I'd have 40K in debt and no friends. I'd have that pink Cadillac, I'm competitive. Like, when I beat a child at a game, I'm proud. They're four feet tall, their frontal lobes are not developed, I don't care. Because anything can be competitive if you're sad enough. (laughs) Fella at the end of the bar starts chugging his beer faster than me. All of a sudden, I'm bragging about AA. (laughs) Honestly, it's like when you're that competitive, you can't even have hobbies, right? Because hobbies are supposed to be enjoyable. They're supposed to be leisurely. Oh, maybe I haven't found the right one. Like, I don't like hiking. I don't like camping. If I got to bring my own toilet paper, I don't want to go. <laughs> I, don't mind, I don't mind going to, like, a cottage, right? A house that's just... A house that's nicer than mine that just happens to be in the woods. But I don't want to do a tent, right? I don't want to sleep on the ground. The closest thing I want to come to sleeping on the ground is hooking up with a 20-year-old dude without a bed frame. <laughs> I do not miss boys' apartments. I gotta say, the only thing decorative in a boy's apartment is just that accent wall, right? The floor, floor to ceiling boxes of Coors Light. Maybe a couple of karate medals from their youth. 
Not all guys, though. My ex, uh, my ex-husband, he was an interior designer, right? So our home was beautiful. Every single thing in our house had its own special place, except me. I've been Brie Parsons. You guys have been fantastic. Thank you so much. That's the terrific Brie Parsons. Find her on Instagram at Brie Parsons Comedy. My thanks today to Punchlines Comedy Club in St. John and recording engineers Pat Martin and Jared Hillel. And a special thanks to my producer, Lee Pitts. My name is Ali Hassan. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back here real soon. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.